Well, so far at least, it doesn't look like it's going to be a very uh, white Christmas for us. Then again, this is Michigan, so it, it could snow and melt three times before the service is done. It could happen. Otherwise, I'm going home and I'm going to spray paint the lawn. But, you know, even if it's not a white Christmas, I guess we had our, uh, our white November. And uh, we know that a white Christmas is nice, but it's not what it's all about. It's not about the, the decorations and the, the, the trappings and the, the ambiance of it. Uh, we know from all the mailers and we know from commercials that actually Christmas is about shopping, right? No. But sometimes it would seem that way from everything that you get in the mail and all the email blasts that you get. And there's a lot of shopping to be done. We, we get that. Of course, I say that as a guy. And for many of us, uh, we realize that the guys have exactly one person we need to shop for while our wives are shopping for everyone else and extended family. And, and yeah, we complain about you know, the burden of uh, shopping last minute for the one person. I'm seeing some of you smile. I'm, this is... I, <laughs> I, I'm, Connecting with your lives, I can tell. Um, but, you know, <laughs> there, there's a lot of shopping to be done, and people do online shopping. Uh, the other week, my wife was uh, online, and she was doing some shopping and had to purchase something. Uh, she asked if she could borrow my credit card. And as I go to get it, my, my youngest son, uh, Joel, our youngest son who's seven, he starts to sing, All she wants for Christmas is his credit card. <laughs> <laughs> In her defense, she was ordering books for uh, women's Bible study, but <laughs> it is that time of year. But our purpose here, as we come together as, as believers in church, is to focus on what is really Christmas all about. And what we're going to say here today is, uh, it's, it's about Jesus Christ coming to earth, the incarnation. And with the message here today, we see that the, the incarnation is, is for the invitation, there's this invitation that we're going to see in Scripture today. And for this to happen, for this invitation to be extended to us, the incarnation had to happen first. When we talk about the incarnation, what is that? That means the Son of God becoming, uh, taking on human flesh. The Son of God who existed for, for all time, the second person of the, the Holy Trinity, who has always been fully God, who was there uh, from before the beginning, before time began. He's always existed, co-equal with God the, the Father and God the, the Holy Spirit in dignity and value and worth, creating the, the world uh, through him and all things being created for him, that this, this God comes down and without ceasing to become God, takes humanity upon himself also. So that after this time, being incarnate, think carne, think, think flesh, he takes on human flesh, and now he's both 100% fully God and also 100% fully human. Somehow, in some mysterious way, putting both of these together in, in one person, making him equipped to do what only he could do as the God-man and what needed to be done for, for my salvation, for, for your salvation. The only way that any of us could, could possibly be saved and to extend to us this invitation. So we are going to look at this passage from, from Luke 14. And here, Jesus is, is no longer an infant. And sometimes we, at Christmas, we, we, we recognize that he came down as an infant. We're going to talk about that. But he needed to grow up. 
He needed to live the perfect life, going through each stage of life for us, going through it perfectly because we did not. He needed to do this, fulfilling the law completely on our behalf and eventually dying on our behalf. So let's look at this. We're going to start in verse 7. This is a banquet. He went to dine at the house of the Pharisees. We see that actually in verse 1. We actually covered the first six verses in a, in a previous message. So we're going to look at three different episodes here with this, uh, where Jesus is still at this banquet. And each of these, uh, if you went through, you could highlight the word invite or invitation several times in each of these. And we're going to draw out the meaning that we believe God has for us here. So in this first section, we're going to talk about this theme of humility. And this is starting with verse 7. Again, Luke 14. Now he, this is Jesus, he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come to you and say, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. You know, the next few days, and maybe tonight, uh, many of you are going to have family Christmases, and uh, maybe you have the kitty table there. And some of you maybe have, you know, memories way back, you know, sitting at the, the kitty table. I remember that at uh, my grandma's house, and uh, you, you have, the, card, you have the, the grown-ups, and then you have the card table off to the side, and you're uh, uh, banished to the kitty table there. And maybe that was great memories, or maybe you remember feeling like, I'm kind of old for this, I wish I could be at the adult table. But there's different seating arrangements that we have. Now, in the, the ancient world, it was the same way. Uh, even more so, where there was expectations as far as where people would sit. And at a banquet like this, uh, we may be picturing you know, a long table and everyone sitting up on high chairs. Uh, but in, in Israel at this time, they would have low tables. You reclined up to them. And probably at a banquet, you probably had three tables. And they were kind of put together in a U-shape with people all around them. And the host would be reclining at the, at the center of the inside of the U. And then there were different positions of honor that they had. So being right next to the host on one side or the other, that would be the, the most honored guest to be in those positions. And then it would uh, go down from that. And the closer you were to the host, that was considered a more honorable seat. And so what Jesus is saying, if you, you go to one of these banquets, you know, don't just presume to uh, take one of the best seats. Don't be angling for this. Or this will end up being an embarrassing thing to you. Maybe you watched a few weeks ago where they had the uh, funeral service for uh, George uh, Bush Sr. And uh, George Herbert Walker Bush. And you saw they definitely had seating arrangements there. 
And right in the front, you had, uh, you, you had to be a, an ex-president or the wife of a president to be in, the, in, that, in that first row. And what if some upstart senator comes in and says, I want to, you know, be on camera and have the right position. He goes and he sits up there in front. And then later, you know, security has to come by and say, you know, this is for uh, former presidents. And they film him just in his shame being escorted, you know, back to his lower position. It's gonna, this would be an embarrassment. So this is what Jesus is, is trying to, to get across. He's saying if, it'd be way better to take a lower seat and have somebody invite you up. You know, take, take the kiddie table and be invited to the main table instead rather than being demoted. But here's the thing. This is not primarily about, you know, here's some tricks and trades for you to get the best seat, for you to get the, the most honor, and how do, you, how do you angle for the best seating? There's obviously a deeper purpose behind this. And Jesus is saying, take the low place and let the host lift you up. That we should be willing to be, to be humble. Everyone else in the world, they're, they're jockeying for their position. They're angling for their pride, their places of honor to be seen, to be, to be glorified in the eyes of others. And Jesus is saying, you know, those who do this, they are going to be, they're going to be humbled. Verse 11, for everyone who exalts himself, who lifts himself up, will, will be humbled. You're going to be embarrassed. The world, everyone around that is uh, going for these high positions and honor and their own glory, they're going to find humiliation in the end. But those instead that, that humble themselves can find themselves being lifted up by the, by the host, by the real host instead. And of course we know the real host, are the, the Lord is against those that are, that, are, that are prideful, that are selfish, but values, values humility very much. He has said, the, the, in many cases, the last shall be first and the first shall be last. And we think about this, this, I think, tells us more than just the fact that a moral lesson for ourselves that we should be humble. Because whenever the Lord is telling us something about how we should be, it's also telling us something about how God is, how Jesus himself is as well. God isn't calling us to do things that are different from him. I mean, the reason that if you are a Christian, a Christ follower, you know, Christian, little Christ, and our calling is to become more and more like Jesus Christ. So if he's calling us in a certain direction, that's the direction that, that's how he is. We know we are to be holy because the Lord is holy. And so if we think about this, we realize that God is, here Jesus is calling us to be humble. And we remember that he himself is humble. And we especially remember this on Christmas. Now we hear the Christmas story, we hear the Christmas readings, and we sometimes, we've heard it so many times that we take it for granted, but think of all the ways that the Christmas story could have been. And if it was some other religion, and if it was an actual man-made thing, how, how they would have invented the Christmas story. God in all his glory, how should he come to earth? As a baby in a, in a manger? The Christmas story could have been, you know, the Lord comes to earth. Well, that would be, that would be amazing enough because we didn't deserve for him to come here. 
But what if the story was just he comes to earth in a uh, floating throne that's uh, 4,000 feet tall, and it just, it just hangs there in the air above the whole earth with, with glory and lightning shooting out from it, with this, this gigantic Jesus on, on this, uh, with a booming voice to the whole world, worship me, worship me. In a way, that would be closer to what God deserves. He is a glorious, awesome God. But that's not how the Christmas story goes. Instead, he came and, and he became, a, at first, an, an unborn baby, a few cells in, in Mary's womb. And over nine months grow and became a baby and was delivered in the, the natural way. And uh, was this little baby laid in a, in a feeding trough in a, in a, in a manger where the animals eat. God was showing us that, that the Lord is willing to be humble and gives us this example. In Philippians chapter 2, there's this great passage. It says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ. He's saying, be humble, and be humble because you're taking the example of Jesus Christ, who he is and what he did. It says, who though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He already was God, and he could have just held on to all that, uh, those prerogatives and his position, but he was willing to, to let go and to descend to this earth. And it says, being em- but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, and being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself. And if it wasn't enough what he did on Christmas, what he did coming down to this earth and living the life that we did, Philippians says even, even more, he descended even lower. It says, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He descended lower than any of us have. But then it goes on, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We worship a God that was willing to humble himself and because of that, as we're being changed into the, to the image of Christ, we need to be willing to, to humble ourselves as well. The focus is not about us. We can care about, we can think about other people instead. And if the time is right, at the right time, we'll let, we'll let God, we'll let the true host worry about exalting us as he sees fit, but that's not up for us. So he's, Jesus is saying this and completely changing the, the view and the mindset of those that are around him. Jesus goes on, verse 12. And he talks about something that is going to have to do with God's grace. Verse 12. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, and the crippled, the lame, the blind, 
and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. And you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now, many of you have invited your, your relatives to your home for Christmas, and I think it's not the point of this to tell you that you can't do that. But I think the point of this is letting us know how often do we do things just for the, for the good of other people without expecting to be paid back, without something in it for us. And how often the way that people, when they, when they invite other people, when they do good for other people, they have themselves in mind. They're thinking there's going to be some kind of kickback. There's going to be some kind of, some kind of favor down the road. There's something I can get out of this person. You know, whether it's something financial, whether it's, you know, some relational capital that I can, that I can build, whether it's who knows what it is, but people have their, their motives for different things. How many of you have ever been, you know, invited over to someone's house and, and then you find out that, you know, it's, they're, they're going to sell you something. There's something going on. He's saying this is do good for people in the way that God does, unconditionally. In a way that you're giving to them, whether they ever give anything back to you, that that's not the point. Instead, he's saying, seek out people that you know they're not going to be able to pay you back. And he lists some of these people, the, the, the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. And especially in that day and age when they didn't have all the, you know, the different safety nets of society and uh, different opportunities, these people, they, they wouldn't be able to pay you back. You're not going to be gaining anything from them. Probably not even, not even social capital because people look down on these type of people. You know, they weren't the ones that you would invite. They were the ones that you shun, that you, you move to the side. Jesus is saying, focus on these people because your reward isn't going to come from them. Do what pleases God. And he says, you will be blessed. I think there's blessings that come in this life from the Lord. It makes the Lord smile when we do this. This reflects his heart. And there will be rewards eventually. It says, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. It's the day when the Lord comes. And he repays us for the good that we have, we have done in this life. We're not just giving to, to get something back. You think of holiday season right now, and I just notice it's kind of funny. Um, sometimes we, we get and we uh, give like, gift cards. Have you ever noticed that? And there's sometimes where you realize, okay, we've, we've sent this other family you know, gift cards. They've sent us gift cards. Basically, we were ending up with exactly what we had before, except we had to pay postage and maybe a fee, and now we can only spend it at one place. But that's how Christmas is. They said, how nice is it when we can just give the way that God does to those who, who cannot pay back to us? Invite those who can never repay. Give to those that, that can't give back. That's, again, this is how God gives. This is what God's grace is is like. Christianity is, is a, a message of grace. A grace is an undeserved gift. We do not believe in, in karma. We believe in grace. Uh, karma says, well, do good because, you know, the good that you give, it's going to float out there in the world and eventually it'll come back to you. Grace is, is one way. It says even if it never comes back to you, you just do it. You do good because this is, it's a good thing to do and this reflects God's heart. We're not thinking about if it ever comes back to us at all. Do good unconditionally to those that will, 
will never deserve it. And to those that will never be able to pay it back. Because again, this is another example of how we can look to this. We are being told to do this, to give unconditionally to those that can never pay back. And it reminds us that this is what God is like. This is the only way that we're, we're, we can be saved. This is the only way that we can have a relationship with him. We can never earn this. We didn't do anything to uh, deserve Jesus Christ to come to this earth. We didn't deserve to be created. And now that we, we are created and we're, we're sinners, we, we don't deserve the good things that happen to us every day. We don't deserve uh, the, the good things that are going to be coming to all of us this Christmas season, the gifts and the family and the, the pleasant times. But God gives us so much, and the, the ultimate thing that he came to give, the ultimate gift, is the reason we were created, to glorify him, to, to have relationship with him, to find our joy in Jesus Christ forever, where he receives the glory and we receive the, the joy in our hearts of, of knowing him and loving him and giving him glory. Once our hearts are activated and, and changed so that he becomes the treasure of our hearts. Jesus gave us a gift that we can never pay back. You know, and if you think that salvation is something that you can earn, if you think that salvation, your forgiveness, is something that is just a loan God gives us to you and you can pay him back, then I have to tell you, you haven't understood it yet. And if that's the way you're thinking about it, it probably means you haven't really received it yet. And maybe that's why the things of God and Christianity and church and, and Scripture maybe hasn't captured your heart because you're still thinking of it as a loan. You're thinking of something that, well, God is offering this. Well, I've got to pay him back and i got to do this, but I don't want this outstanding debt. And so I've got to make sure that you know, I, I give back. Someone gives to me, I've got to give back to them. I've shared this illustration before that I've gotten from Erwin Lutzer, and he tells a story, and I don't know if there's any uh, reality behind it, but it's, it's a nice story about a missionary that became good friends uh, of a, a pearl diver in India. And they discussed salvation uh, many times for many hours, but this, this, this Hindu could not believe that salvation could be a free gift. And the missionary kept trying to explain that it says in, in Scripture that it is, is a gift of God, not by works, that no one should boast. And this, this Hindu just could not believe this. He believed that we, maybe salvation could be earned by, by hard works, by walking 900 miles to Delhi on his knees. But the missionary said that, no, actually salvation was so costly that Jesus had to buy it for us and we could never repay and before this missionary had to, to leave, the, the Indian, he's a, he's a pearl diver, and he wants to give this missionary that tried to befriend him, he give him this gift, and he says, this is the most perfect pearl, I'm giving this to the missionary, and I want, uh, I want you to take this, and I want um, you to have this. And the missionary says, takes it and says, oh, well, no, I, I need to pay for this. I need to give you some money. He starts, you know, getting out his funds. And this, this Indian, he's offended, the man from India, and he says, how, how can you try to pay me for something that this cost my son his life? And you think you can pay for this? And at that point, the missionary said, don't you see? That's, that's what I've been trying to teach you. That this gift of salvation that is being offered to you is, is so valuable that if you try to, to pay for it, if you think you can pay for it, 
that you're, you're, this is an offense to God. His son had to be given. His son had to die to give you this gift. This is something that, that we can't work for, we can't earn, we can never pay for. Romans chapter 4 says, And to the one who does not work but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. And just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts as righteousness apart from works, blessed are those lawless, whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is a man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. We have been treated with grace. Therefore, we need to treat others with grace. We have this invitation, but so often we make, we make excuses. And that's the last section here, starting with verse 15. It says, When one of those who reclined at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes in the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, and the blind, and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you command has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquets. There are times when uh, we have things we're invited to and things we gladly do, and other times things we sometimes don't want to go to. And I read that there's even an app that you can get that somebody made that you can put on your phone so that when somebody asks you to do something, you press a button and it will just fill your calendar with all kinds of made-up things. So your friend comes and says, Hey, I'm, I'm moving this weekend. Uh, could you please... Oh, wait a second. Let me check my phone here. You press the button. Beep. Oh, <laughs> look at that. I'd love to help. Uh, but it, it looks like this, this weekend I'm teaching remedial parachute lessons at that time. Uh, I, I'd love to help you. Just uh, things are filled up. You know, with every obligation, every invitation, sometimes people accept and sometimes people don't, and there's always a level of motivation. Whether it's uh, going to an invite that somebody's brought you to and you're weighing that against something else you could be doing or just even your free time. Whether it's, do you, do you come to the Lord's house in the morning versus other things that you could be doing or, or, or nothing that you could be doing and, and which is more valuable to you? And the ultimate invitation, coming to Christ himself. Do we value that? Or are there other things we value more? The invitation to, uh, to pursue in fellowship with, with sin. Or to live for ourselves in our own glory. Things that keep us away. Which do you choose? Which do you want more? 
In the ancient world, guests would be sent two invitations to a banquet like this. Uh, one would be sent out ahead of time, and people would be expected to, to hopefully RSVP for this, let them know they're coming, because on the day of the banquet, they had to know, you know how, many, how many animals do you slaughter to get ready for this meal? This wasn't, you run to the store and, and get what you need and put the rest in the freezer. Uh, you know, how many, how many cows or lambs or whatever it is, you know, do you need to butcher for this? And then there would be another invitation that would be sent uh, on that day. And this is the one that's referring to here when it says, come now, everything is ready. So once the, the food is ready, and, you know, this would be like the invitation you're going to have. Everyone's at your home, and they're milling around, and everything's on the table. And you say, come now, everything's at the table, everything's ready. It's time to eat now, you know, uh, you know put down the iPads, put down this, and, uh, you know, come to the table. <laughs> and so people were invited here. Every, it says here, everything is ready, and they start making excuses. We have excuses. What do people really value more? And those that are invited, well, for one, they thought they had a higher priority than being with the host. Even worse, actually, these excuses were really a slap in the face to the host. These excuses were actually, actually pretty ridiculous. Many people made ex- ridiculous excuses and excluded themselves from this great banquet that they were invited to. Because look at these excuses again. It, the first one says, I bought a field, and I must, I must go out and see it. You know, in the ancient world, where farming was this big deal, if you were buying cropland, usually it took months as this process to, to negotiate and purchase cropland because you would want to see, you would examine it first, you would want to know what is the soil like, can it grow anything, are you buying just a, a field full of rocks, is it getting rainfall that it needs, the terrain was very hilly, and the time when the rains came, sometimes the sun was very low. So if it was on the wrong side of the hill, it wouldn't be getting the right sunlight that it needed. Nothing would grow there. There is no way in the world that anyone would, would purchase a field without seeing the field first. So this person to say, I, I can't come to this banquet. I, I bought a field. And I, I finally, I got to get around to going and looking at this thing. That was, that was ridiculous. And everyone would have known that this was a made-up, bogus excuse. You know, this would be like you, you know, calling home to your, to your wife and saying, you know, honey, I just, I just bought us a new house. I paid for it, signed the check, it's a done deal. I, I got to go see it now. I haven't seen it yet. You, just, you wouldn't do that. This was a very ridiculous, bogus excuse. The same with five yoke of oxen. These would be expensive things. This would be like a farmer you know, buying uh, five tractors, or really ten tractors, because the yoke was, was two, without examining them first to see if uh, the tractors actually ran, if they were decent. And we see, are these oxen, are they sick? Do they work together well? If they don't pull together right, it's, it, they're going to be useless to you. You would never buy five yoke of oxen sight unseen. You just wouldn't do that. Again, another ridiculous excuse. Or this person saying, well, I'm married now, and it's, you know, it's date night, can't come, or whatever his weak excuse was there. These were deliberate refusals. These were, these were unthinkably rude. 
This wasn't just, well, I got something else. It would be bad enough if it was a matter of, you know, I got this other priority. But I think this is what Jesus is teaching us too. When we refuse the invitation that the Lord gives to us to come to Jesus, to fellowship with him, it, one, shows there's something else in our heart that's an idol. That's something that we value and we worship more than Jesus Christ. And with our excuses and the bogus things that we come up with, it's an insult to the Lord. The bad excuses. Think of the bad excuses that so many people have for rejecting Jesus. Well, I I, I can't come to Jesus. I'm not going to trust Jesus as my Savior. Well, because uh, the church is full of sinners. Well, okay, people are sinners and we do fall short, but, but Jesus is different. He, he is perfect. And plus, yeah, the, the church is, has sinners in it, but that's like you saying, I, I'm sick, but I can't go to the hospital because the hospital has, that's full of sick people in it. And I don't want to go there where sick people are. On the flip side, some people say, well, I, I'm too messed up to, to come to Christ. And that would mean, you know, being around, you know, the people of God coming to church and, and they're all perfect. And, well, on one hand, they're sinners, but now they're, they're too good for you. Uh, we make contradictory excuses at times. I read this once. This was, uh, somebody wrote about excuses people give to, to not attend church. And this person compared them to Ten reasons not to wash. You're thinking, well, you don't, you don't want to be bothered washing. So think of these reasons and apply these both to washing and do these work for going to church. Ten reasons not to wash. I was forced to wash as a child. Before I, I'm not going to wash now. Number two, people who make soap are only after your money. Three, I wash on special occasions, like Christmas and Easter. Four, people who wash are, hypoc- are hypocrites. They think they're cleaner than everyone else. It's hypocrites, so I'm not going to wash at all. Five, there are so many different kinds of soap, I can't decide which one is the best. Six, I used to wash. It got boring, though, so I stopped. Seven, none of my friends wash. Eight, the bathroom is never warm enough in the winter or cool enough in the summer. I just don't like the bathroom enough, so I'm not going to wash. Nine, I'll start washing when I get older and dirtier. And ten, I can't spare the time. You think of the excuses that we have to stay away from, from the Lord and from the things of the Lord. People miss out on the banquet. I think what it, this is communicating, not because they weren't invited. People are invited. You are invited. But they do it because they exclude themselves. They stay away from the Lord. They stay away from the host with the excuses that they made. And I want you to hear, I want you to know you are invited. Don't exclude yourself. You'll be, you'll be responsible for that. And even worse, you'll be missing this great joy, the, this great banquet, the best thing that, that you were created for in fellowship with the Lord. And so these people in this parable that Jesus tells they miss their opportunity, but others are brought in. He says, go in and invite in the, the, the poor and the lame and all these others, the people that 
normally people would have said, well, we don't want those kind of people. They say, well, bring them in. And, you know, the original application to this uh, really had to highlight uh, the message being taken first to the Jewish people and offering it to them, and some chose, but by and large, most rejected Jesus Christ. And then the offer goes to the Gentiles, to the non-Jews, and that um, we, as was prophesied, are able to come in and have a relationship with him. But it also gives us this, this principle that God has chosen the weak, God has chosen the low, God has chosen the outcasts, and extended his invitation to all of us. I mean, imagine the people that were now invited to this, this grand banquet at this rich person's house, and they're, they're out living at the, in the gutters and being rejected by everyone. And now they're being invited to this banquet? They would think, this, this is amazing. This is too good to be true. I can't believe this. That's us. That's how our hearts should be, responding and saying, I, I can't believe. I get, to, I get to have fellowship with the Lord. I get to have a relationship with him. And therefore, in verse 23, when it says, compel people to come in, it doesn't mean that you're you know, taking the sword to them and forcing them in. There have been some in church history that have misused this verse, like in the, the Inquisition, say, we're going we're gonna to force you to be a Christian against your will. This is saying there's, people need to be made willing. There would be a natural expectation for, for these people invited to say, this can't be true, I, I, I'm going to refuse I, I can't go to this person's house. I, I'm down here in society, and they're way up here. No, I can't come. And they would have to be convinced. They said, no, really, this is true. You really are invited. I, I'm going to convince you this. I want to keep pleading with you until you recognize in your heart this is the truth. You know, and that's what we need to, to do for others, to convince them that the Lord does want you. The Lord is extending this message of salvation to you. That you may think that you are so low, you, are, you may think you've sinned so bad that you are so messed up that you could never have a relationship with God. You could never be forgiven. When I convince you and plead with you that this is the truth, no matter what you've done, the Lord wants you to come into relationship with him. And you know, the ultimate one that, that will compel your heart is, is the Holy Spirit that can take your heart and just and turn it. And make it, turn your heart from unbelieving to, to belief. And if you are... Sensing, if you realize that the Holy Spirit is working in your heart now, drawing you, Lord, drawing you by the power of God, I respond to that. Come to him. You have the best Christmas there could be. Because this is Jesus' banquet. At the end of verse 24, he says, this is his banquet. He says, this is my banquet. This is what you're being invited to. The incarnation is for the invitation. And there is still room for you at the table. And when you are called, come to the banquet. Be with your host. Be with the Lord forever. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much that Jesus came and and did what only he could do living his perfect life in our place and eventually giving himself and and dying his death on the cross to pay for our sin. What only he could do and a, a gift so valuable that we could never repay it. We can live a life in response 
of gratitude and love, but it's not something that we repay or, or try to, to repay. Help us to just accept this great gift and to, to live in love and gratitude, Lord. I thank you for everyone here that has already accepted that invitation and that has come to the banquet with you, that is experiencing joy in Christ and will experience joy forever with the Lord. I, we continue to pray for those that have not come yet, that the invitation is, is there. May they be called and come, Lord God. Lord, we thank you for Christmas. We thank you for Jesus Christ. Your grace and love is unconditional. We thank you for your humility and what you did. All praise and glory to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. In his name we pray. Amen.